Hey everybody, you're listening to Orla's Happy Hormones podcast, talking all things female health and wellness. I'm Orla O'Flaherty, a certified naturopath and herbalist, and I'm here to talk about everything from periods, hormones, fertility, health, sex, energies, self-awareness, and just life in general. Here's to happy hormones and a happy you. Hey, and welcome to episode 54 of Orla's Happy Hormones podcast. And we're still here. We're still in lockdown. Here in Ireland, we have been, last week, we were given another two-week extension on it. And then we were also given our phase-out process. And I was geared up for the extra two weeks, to be fair, and I was okay with it. But the phase-out process, I wasn't geared up for. Uh, I know it's it's different for everyone, but how everybody's managing it, how everybody's coping with it all, and the different things that everyone's missing. For me, it's the gym. I miss structure to my training. My training is my... Training is my therapy and is my meditation. And people find that funny when I say training is my meditation, but it is because when... You're lifting weights, you have to be in the zone as in, I know that sounds like you have to be in the zone, but no, it's just you have to be concentrating on your movement patterns, you have to be concentrating on your form, you have to be concentrating on what muscles you're engaging, stabilizing your core, making sure you don't get injured, so many different factors involved, like foot placing, breathing, the works, and for me that is meditation because my mind shuts off I'm fully focused on lifting weights and when I'm trying to do my home workouts and everything it's it's just not the same trying to get a bit of exercise in here and there but it's it's been a struggle so I look forward to the gym's opening but that's not going to be until August so I've had to look at my routines and try and flip them up a bit just to keep myself acted, acted, active and interested. So there's that. Then there's the whole social distancing when we're going to get to see people again. And yeah, it's it's been a process. <laughs> and I know it's been a process for everybody else out there. And everybody's going through their own process. I read something very profound recently of how the saying that we're all in the same boat. It's just not true. We're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. Some people's lives are completely blown out of the water with this. Other people are finally getting the rest that they need. And it's it's different for every single person. So it, for me, what I'm saying to people is just being being compassionate with yourself, being kind to yourself, not beating yourself up over not being able to do certain things. We all have coping mechanisms. We all have different responses to, I was going to say tragedy, but not tragedy. We all have different responses to stressful situations. And this could be classed as a stressful situation. Some people go into action mode. Some people go into cocooning mode. And I'm so annoyed that with 
friggin COVID, they've taken the word cocooning for the elderly, whereas I've always used that term cocooning as in to just wrap yourself in a blanket and do nothing. That word will no longer have the same meaning for me. <laughs> but we do all have our different responses and how we, we act with different scenarios. We Some people go into action. Some people go into cocooning. Some people go into a mixture of all different things. So it's just about realising what it is that you do and how you can how you can support yourself through it all. But this week's episode is now that I've gotten my COVID introduction out of the way, it seems to be the case for the last few weeks with the podcasts, my intros are, how's everyone doing in COVID? And we're all doing differently. But this week's podcast is a Q&A style podcast. They're my favourite ones. And usually I'd, I'd put out a question box on Instagram, you know, a Q&A podcast, what questions do you want to know? But lately my Q&As on Instagram, which I do on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, have just blown up and I only ever answer the first five questions that come in. And so I'm just taking three of the top questions that have come in <clears throat> and answering them on, on here. And plus there they are questions that need a bit more explanation. So the three questions today are... The first one is, any advice for the two-week wait? It's torture. The second question is, is adrenal fatigue really a thing? And the third question is, hi Orla, I think I have candida. How can I help it? So to start, we'll work away on number one. Any advice for the two-week wait? It's torture. What is the two-week wait? For anybody who's listening who has never tried for a baby, the two-week wait is that two weeks between ovulation and when you're meant to get your period or meant to find out when you're pregnant. And those two weeks can feel like a lifetime for so many women and men, for couples, really. So by the sounds of it, this woman who sent in the message or the question you've obviously gone through many two-week waits because if you're at the stage where it's torture like that can happen pretty soon it all depends really not that it all depends but like how long have you been trying were you expecting it to be something that was just going to happen straight away did you have any concerns before you started trying all these issues come into play when it comes to the two-week wait. With my clients that I have in clinic, it's trying to support the nervous system throughout that two-week wait. And it's trying to help women to figure out how to distract themselves and how to, yes, be hopeful, but not bank everything on it. And for a lot of women who have gone through a lot of two-week waits, you know that it's a matter really of do you take an early test to put yourself out of your misery do you hold off because you just don't want that disappointment all over again when it comes to that two-week wait and going through a lot of them it's for a lot of women it can feel like a loss every month it can feel 
like you may not have been pregnant you may not have conceived but it still feels like a loss a loss and there's still a grieving process with that because you have to grieve that those hopes and those dashed dreams especially when it is all that you want so what I do say to a lot of my clients is one find something that can distract you over those two weeks get a book get some sort of online course get some sort of podcast do things that are going to keep your mind busy do things that are going to engage your mind that are going to fascinate you don't be constantly reading all about pregnancy early pregnancy conception the fertility journey do try to take a break from those things because it becomes all consuming and it can cause an awful lot of stress another one which is much easier said than done but is not attaching to the outcome and I know how can I even say that because you're there constantly trying to conceive of course you're going to attach to the outcome because you want to have a baby you want to get pregnant one thing I always suggest would be to sit down and write out lists write out lists of your hopes your wants what it is that you want out of motherhood what it is that you want want out of being a parent what it is that you're banking everything on and then also write out or journal not even write out but write journal about your relationship with the conception process journal about your fertility journey what has been what has that process been for you has it been have there been ups and downs and a lot of roller coasters what is your relationship like with sex now because again if you've been going through this process for a long time sex just becomes robotic it becomes a chore it's like right ovulation hubby let's go and the excitement and the passion and the love can tend to filter away and like that it it just becomes robotic all over again not all over again but it becomes robotic if ye have been trying for a good few months if you've been trying for a year 6, 12, 18 months and you've become disheartened with the process what I would recommend is actually taking a two month break two or three month break and I know that's also a very hard thing to hear especially when it's something that you really want but when there is stress around getting pregnant your body is automatically going into a state of I'm stressed this is not a good environment to bring a baby into I'm not going to make it a good environment for a baby to come into it. So you may stop ovulating. Your cortisol levels can go through the roof. Your adrenaline levels can go through the roof. And literally your mind can just start playing tricks on you. And especially if sex has become robotic and clinical and there's no intimacy there anymore, I would definitely recommend taking that break from trying quote unquote give yourself your partner give yourself and your partner time to actually come back to each other talk about how you're feeling about the fact that you haven't conceived yet openly have that conversation about your disappointment uh, 
sadness, feeling the, the losses every month. Ask your partner how they feel about it and ask them to be open and honest with you because what I find with a lot of husbands or boyfriends or even girlfriends, wives, if you're a if you're a single sex couple going through IVF treatment and even husband and husband whatever the relationship it is that doesn't matter but what I'm saying is sit and talk to your partners and ask them how they are feeling about it when you can be open and honest with them they can be open and honest with you and you can hold each other in that space together as hard as it can be but when you're trying for so long and you go through this two-week wait over and over and over, it's extremely draining on your emotions and it's extremely draining on your relationship. So that's why I say take a two-month break, take sex off the table, take that need because it is a need. It becomes a need more so than a want after time. So take that need of having to conceive off the table and talk about what it is that you want together as a couple in the relationship as a family creating a family go back to the beginning of when you were when you first started dating the excitement the joy that you had the that passion that you had bring it right back to the beginning and enjoy getting to know each other again let your stress levels come down let your bodies relax your minds relax and start taking every day as it comes instead of it being every month as it comes then for anyone out there who's just started trying and they've gone through maybe one two three two week waits i get it they are tortured they're they are frustrating but knowing that it's still really early days and just giving yourself time, giving yourself patience and to not start stressing about it now because it's still very early days. So still enjoy the process. Enjoy the making, the making baby, the baby making process because it's not, sex isn't just about procreation. It's about connection. It's about intimacy. So connecting in with your partner on an emotional as well as a physical level, but Throughout the process of trying to conceive, holding each other emotionally and creating that intimate space is really important too. It's not just about the, I know it is about getting pregnant for a, anybody who's on, a, who's on a pregnancy journey. But try not to lose yourself in that whole process because it is easy happen. So bringing yourself back to reality every now and then, every day, just grounding, doing up your, your gratitude lists, journaling out your your wants, your dreams, journaling out your sadness, the grief, the fears, everything, and talk to your partner about it all too. So the different things that you can do is distract yourself in the beginning books, podcasts, online courses. Then talk to your partner. Be open and honest with them about how you're feeling. Let them be open and honest with you about how they're feeling. Create that intimate space for you to open up together. 
know that you're both in it together. You're both doing this journey together. And if needs be, give yourself a couple of months off just to take the stress off. So I hope that helps. My next question was, is adrenal fatigue really a thing? And yes, it is. There is no, there's no official scientific diagnosis of it, but it is a thing. Um, So adrenal fatigue is when the HPA axis, so the hypothalamic pituitary and adrenal axis have been in overload for too long a time. Uh, It's caused by chronic stress. Uh, it's not just chronic stress it's caused by chronic emotional stress but it can also be caused by chronic physical stress and a lot of the time you'll see this as post-viral syndrome Uh, so anybody who has suffered with a really bad virus and the body has gone through a long period of trying to fight that virus off they become extremely exhausted from it it can take anywhere up to 18 months to actually get the body back on track after a bout of adrenal fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome or post-viral syndrome, whatever it is that you want to call it. And how it manifests is many different ways. You can have digestive problems, you can have unexplained weight loss, chronic anxiety, exhaustion. The main symptoms are chronic exhaustion and literally feeling like you're, you're dead on the floor and you can't get out of the bed. Also, not being able to go to sleep at night, not being able to wake up in the morning, being very groggy in the morning and taking maybe three, four hours to get going in the day. And then physically you'll have a lot of sugary or salty cravings, specifically salty uh, in the evening time. So how it's caused is that the adrenal glands are what produce cortisol, adrenaline and noradrenaline These are our fight or flight response hormones. These are our stress hormones. When someone is in a chronic state of stress, be it physically or emotionally, your adrenal glands are in overdrive. And you're in that state of your sympathetic nervous system of your autonomic nervous system is in constant go, go, go. And you can only produce produce a certain amount of cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline before you get a crash. So when you are going through chronic stress and your body's constantly pumping out these hormones and you're constantly in a state of fight or flight and you're constantly in a state of anxiety and an adrenaline rush, it's going to have a knock-on effect on all other systems of the body, specifically your thyroid function and your reproductive hormone function because the HPA axis and the HPG axis are directly linked. Now look, stress isn't always a bad thing. Stress is actually a good thing. It's it's there for that fight or flight response. And acute doses of stress or short bursts of stress are actually really good for you. They're, they help to improve the immune system. They help to improve your digestive system. They help to improve reducing anxiety they it helps to release endorphins but these are the those short bursts of stressors so the likes of your your hot and cold therapy or your training or 
certain types of breathing techniques that will induce an adrenal response or an adrenaline response. Like these are all good in the short or in the short term, but it's when it becomes, when you're in a chronic state of stress, that's when we're looking at a lowered immune system. We're looking at high levels of inflammation in the system. And we're also looking at the thyroid function being impacted. And the reason for the thyroid function is, again, it's down to the HPA, HPG axis. The thyroid is directly linked to the hypothalamus and the pituitary. When you are in a chronic state of stress, your thyroid is going into an overactive state. You're producing extra thyroid hormones to help manage with that fight or flight, fight or flight response. So chronic stress can send you into a hyperthyroid state, but then when that's going on for so long, it ends up having a negative feedback loop effect and it can throw you into a hypothyroid state. And that's literally your crash. And for anyone who suspects they suffer with adrenal, adrenal fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome, I always say go and get your thyroid tested. And even if the bloods come back within the normal range, just see where in the normal range is it are you right at the cusp of that lower end because there the thyroid may have been impacted but it just you haven't gone into that red zone but it's a matter of supporting the system and trying to bring it back up before you get into the red zone and then when it comes to actually supporting the system when you do have adrenal fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome the three main things are rest, nutrition, and supplements or herbs. Rest is, is vital. You need sleep. You, people who suffer from chronic fatigue syndrome need minimum 10 to 12 hours sleep. And I know that sounds like a lot, but it's needed. The body has gone into complete exhaustion mode and it doesn't have the energy to replenish its cells. It doesn't have the energy to actually digest food to take nutrients in so if you can get 10 to 12 hours sleep at night that will benefit benefit you massively then food looking at food you really need to be looking at a low inflammatory diet inflammation causes so much damage to the gut walls then that you're not absorbing any of your nutrients but as well as that there's a chance of causing autotoxemia in the system so we need to look at healing the gut lining so that you can observe not observe you can absorb those nutrients but certain foods are really good for that and certain foods are really good for lowering cortisol levels so the likes of all your root veggies i know i'm always sprouting out about about the greens and the root veggies but it's because they're really important for grounding you and for lowering those cortisol levels and specifically in the evening time like the we can go through macros till we're blue in the face but really when it comes to adrenal fatigue and chronic fatigue and certain health conditions especially thyroid as well you kind of got to throw your macro timing out the window as in for for weight loss or anything like that and look at your macros for your health and evening time is best to be having a good portion of root veggies you need those carbohydrates those complex carbohydrates to help strip that excess cortisol out of the system. And then fats and proteins are really, really important because you need healthy fat for proper hormone production and function. And when we're talking about 
the adrenal glands, their hormones, any gland is producing a hormone. It's the endocrine system. So you need adequate amounts of good quality fats and proteins for the production and function. So getting good grass-fed, free-range beef, chicken, whatever, but make sure that it's as wild as possible with as le- the least amount of chemicals as possible. And then your fats looking at avocado, coconut oil, grass-fed butter, eggs, wild oily fish. These are all really good sources, but it's incorporating them into your, your diet on a daily routine. Not just once here and there, you need to be quite on top of it. And then supplements. Supplements are very important when it comes to adrenal fatigue, again, because of the high levels of, of inflammation. But the amount of cortisol and adrenaline going through the system that needs to be stripped out. So we're looking at the likes of vitamin C, good quality vit- vitamin C. I always recommend the Alterant brand because it's a liposomal. So it's much better. Uh, it's much better. Uh, your body's much better at absorbing it into the system, but without any hair side effects on the stomach. But it does need to be taken with food. Then magnesium, crucial. When the nervous system is shot, it's magnesium that's needed. Magnesium it helps to create the myelin sheath that coats the, the outer layer of the nervous system. And when you're stressed and that wiry feeling, it's it's basically like a, like a wide wire. Look at a wire to a plug. That outer coating, that's the myelin sheath of your, sheath of your nervous system. And it's magnesium that creates that so upping your magnesium when you are in chronic state of anxiety or stress you can up your magnesium to four or six hundred milligrams a day but do it on a slow progress and a slow incline so as not to overwhelm the system then as well looking at your b vitamins vitamin uh, b complex and methylated b complex again for the nervous system for the brain for the neurological factors in the brain And there's so many more, but as a naturopath, I, I would, how we say it is, we treat the person, not the symptom, not the condition. So there are loads of other supplements, but some don't suit everyone because it all depends on a person's constitution. But those would be the main three, as well as a probiotic. Everybody should be on a probiotic, as far as I'm concerned. But looking at your food, your rest, supplements, and then herbs. Herbs are really good for adrenal fatigue. The likes of ashwagandha, eleutherococcus, or Siberian ginseng, then licorice. All really good herbs for supporting the adrenal glands and for nourishing the adrenal glands. But you do need to be very mindful. Like licorice root increases blood pressure. So if you're somebody who has high blood pressure or has a tendency towards high blood pressure, you can't take licorice root because it's just going to increase it. And then you may end up on meds if you're not already on meds. Then it, the same goes for all your adaptogenic herbs, really. They have an inclination to to raise blood pressure. Um, so you need to be mindful of what ones it is that you're taking. But they are really good nervous system supports. They're really good HPA axis supports and really good HPG axis supports. They a lot of them have steroidal saponins, which will help with the likes of your reproductive hormones as well as your stress hormones. But then there are a lot of herbs that impact your thyroid function. So, like one of the 
best herbs out there for anxiety and stress is lemon balm and I love lemon balm but if you're someone who has hypothyroidism you can't take lemon balm because it inhibits thyroid function it inhibit it inhibits the production of TSH so it, it's counterintuitive so before you go taking any herbs or supplements just be mindful of that and check with your healthcare practitioner so rest food supplements herbs i would actually always recommend getting in touch with a naturopath a herbalist a nutritionist an acupuncturist someone who can devise a plan specifically for you because when it comes to adrenal fatigue that exhaustion that chronic exhaustion that brain fog that comes with it it's hard to try and come up with your own plan and it it's another stress on top of things so i would recommend going to somebody let somebody else take that responsibility away from you and you just follow the plan yes question whatever it is that you need to question but hand over that element of control so that you can actually rest and actually heal and get your energy back so now i'm on to my third question which is hi orla i was told i have candida how can i help it well what is candida candida is one of those questions that just keeps coming up and coming up and coming up or people have certain symptoms that I'm like oh yeah that's candida yeah that's candida yeah that's candida and so what is candida? Uh, candida albicans is a bacteria that's found in the mouth the throat the entire digestive tract the gut and also the the vagina um, it's in your gut microbiome and it's in your vaginal microbiome and it, it's it's there alongside trillions of other yeasts, bacteria, fungi, everything that's within your your gut microbiome, and it's usually fine. It's when there's an overgrowth where you'll start seeing some health complaints. Now. When it comes to your gut microbiome, it's it's a delicate balance, really. It's keeping the good gut bacteria in check and the bad gut bacteria in check. When there is an overgrowth of candida, you're usually looking at a deficient level of Lactobacillus, which is an, another bacteria in the gut. But Lactobacillus will actually stop the overgrowth of candida. So when I'm talking to clients, I'm always telling them when you're getting a probiotic read the ingredients read what probiotics are actually in it read what microorganisms are in it and make sure that lactobacillus is one of them so there are lots of different signs and symptoms for um candida overgrowth the likes of thrush vaginal thrush oral thrush usually you'll see oral thrush in babies and in adults you're you're looking at vaginal thrush or even men can have thrush on their penis then you're also looking at itchy ears uh, and itchy anus and any sort of digestive issues. A lot of IBS and IBD can be caused by a severe overgrowth of candida because candida 
can lead on to what's known as leaky gut. And that's really, a, that that's a more serious consequence of, of candida overgrowth. But it, it can cause the intestinal walls to become quite permeable. And basically that means that it's you're getting little holes within the intestinal walls. And then partially digested proteins and other toxins are being released back into the body and that's causing autotoxemia. And in very severe cases, it's actually known as candidiasis and it can actually negatively impact vital organs. It can impact the blood, the heart, the brain and can have some severe side effects for the long term. So if you are someone who is prone to yeast infections, I would be looking at getting on top of it now before it becomes a much more serious condition. So other signs and symptoms, like I said, the likes of thrush, oral thrush, vaginal thrush, thrush in the penis, um, sore throats, itchy ears, uh, skin and nail fungal infections is a big one. Then as well, that... The foggy brain, that brain where you can't focus on anything, you can't pinpoint anything, you can't concentrate on things, that's the real indicator that there's an overgrowth of candida in the system. Also mood disorders. And this is down to, again, that gut-brain axis and how scientists are still over, or they're still only uncovering the importance of the gut microbiome for the mood. But scientists have discovered that if there is an overgrowth of bad bacteria, it it's m- most definitely going to affect the, the neurological system and the neurological pathways and how the neurons fire. And so then what we're looking at is the likes of anxiety, panic attacks, <clears throat> depression, dramatic mood swings, irritability, and some research studies have now come out and said that said that there is a link between the overgrowth of bad bacteria in the gut and certain psychological disorders like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder so really everything is coming back to your gut health and then another issue that you we do see quite a lot of with people who suffer with adrenal fatigue syndrome or chronic fatigue syndrome which I've already talked about is an overgrowth of candida so again looking at what type of foods it is that you're eating and what is it that you can change for the for the positive of of your gut microbiome but it's linking all the different signs and symptoms together so do you have thrush do you have itchy ears do you have brain fog do you have mood disorders? Do you have mood swings, anxiety, irritability? Do you have chronic fatigue? Do you have digestive problems? Do you have discharge? So many different factors. But even in saying that, there still has to be a differential diagnosis. So again, it's why I always say to people, do make an appointment with naturopath, herbalist, nutritionist, acupuncturist, doctor, someone who can guide you down the line. If you are someone who suffers with an awful lot of issues, I would always say, first and foremost, go to your doctor and get your bloods done. Make sure that there's 
and not another condition that needs to be treated because there's no point in treating chronic fatigue syndrome or candida if there's an actual thyroid problem or if there's another endocrine problem. So do always get your bloods done first. But what are the main causes of candida? Um, Main causes, common causes. So we're looking at, like I said in the beginning of this question, is there's a deficiency in the lactic Achilles. But why is that? What's your diet like? Because when it comes to candida, when it comes to any yeast or fungus, they rely on sugar as its form of energy. And that's what's going to make it grow. It's the perfect environment is sugar. So the more sugar, the more refined carbs, the more yeast you have in your diet, the more candida is, is going to grow. So we're looking at refined sugars, carbohydrates. When I say carbs, I don't just mean your breads and pastas. Unfortunately, I'm actually looking at the likes of your potatoes, sweet potatoes, certain grains, your brown rice, all these things, which are, yes, healthy foods, but everybody's constitution is different. And if you have candida, it's not going to be beneficial for you. Then as well, alcohol consumption. Alcohol is, especially sugary alcohol, it completely nurtures the growth of candida. It's the same as like the high sugar diet encourages candida overgrowth. Alcohol does the exact same. Then antibiotic use. Uh, unfortunately, right now, the rates of antibiotics being prescribed is quite high. And antibiotics kill both good and bad bacteria in the gut. And again, that lactobacillus that's being killed off and that's that's the bacteria that's going to stop the overgrowth of candida albicans. So if you have been on many courses of, of antibiotics throughout your lifetime, it, definitely looking at probiotics, pro, probiotic supplements, but also pre and probiotic foods. And then the oral contraceptive pill that has massive implications for candida and the reason being is because the synthetic hormones that are in them are having a direct impact on the intestinal walls so again going back to that leaky gut synthetic hormones like your estradiol and your progestin are quite corrosive to the intestinal walls and they also kill off good bacteria So being mindful that if you are on the pill with a diet that is high in alcohol or high in sugar, refined sugars, refined carbs, anything like that, they're all having an impact on the gut. But then what is it that you can do? There is there is lots that you can do. Now, there is a specific anti-candida diet, but it's extreme. I did it. I did it for six months and it's full on. And I never put any of my clients on it because it's it's so extreme <laughs> um what I do recommend and what I would put my clients on now would be more of a paleo diet because you you still need to have some element of root veggies because you need that balance of healthy fats proteins and complex carbs and it's hard 
it's hard to eliminate everything because the anti-candida diet is no sugar, no sugar, no yeast, no dairy, no wheat, no gluten. And it's, it's quite intense. And a lot of people go that extra step by removing any sugary fruits or vegetables. So you're, you're very limited in what you can have. So that's why I always say opt for a paleo based diet if you can, because Yes, brown rice and oats, I love them. They're fantastic food sources. They're fantastic sources of complex carbs. But when you are someone who has an issue with candida or bacteria overgrowth or any problems of the digestive tract, any problems of the gut microbiome, grains, unfortunately, are really, really hard to digest and it's it's hard to rectify the, the likes of leaky gut when you are consuming a lot of grains but there are specific foods that are really beneficial for the like they're known as candida fighters so the likes of avocados chia seeds wild fish other healthy healthy proteins or healthy oily fish and then garlic and turmeric they're antifungal they're antimicrobial they're one of the best things known for killing candida especially the curcumin that is that's in turmeric and also ginger one of the other things that is always recommended as well is coconut oil and that's because it contains caprylic acid and again that's antimicrobial so it's really beneficial for killing off that that overgrowth of yeast so adding those things into your diet will really help reducing out your sugary foods your your refined carbs anything that's in a package really and lowering your alcohol consumption if not eliminating it and then making sure that you're getting a good probiotic into the system and another thing I always recommend for anyone who has any issues with the gut is slippery elm powder it's really good for coating the lining of the gut and healing the gut lining again and then as well looking into your good pro pre and probiotic food sources so the likes of your kefir, kombucha, not too much kombucha because that does contain quite a lot of sugar too. But then your sauerkraut, your kimchi, anything that's fermented, it's always a good option. And again, just reducing as much of that sugar as you possibly can. But do go to your doctor first, get all your tests done, find out if there is something actually going on. We always need to do a differential diagnosis just to be certain of any sort of treatment protocol. And also get in touch with a naturopath or herbalist who can help you down this road because it can be quite hard navigating these things on your own. There's so much information out there, so much information out there on the internet. It's hard to know what's right, what's wrong, because some of it, not some of it, a lot of it is is conflicting. So go to someone who can do the work for you to differentiate between what's real and what's not. So that's all three questions for this week's episode, and I hope they've helped. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a comment, tag me in it on any of your social media platforms. And let me know how you found it. But for now, 
Happy weekend and happy hormones.